Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. I'm Rod Murray, and what matters this week is the year's first major. Yes, it's already upon us, Augusta National and the US Masters. But this week is about so much more than just the tournament itself. Yes, the world's best players will be focused on trying to win the green jacket, but behind the scenes, there is plenty going on as well. Everybody who is anybody in the world of golf will be at Augusta National this week, and there will be wheeling a dealing a plenty on the hallowed grounds of the club that Bob Jones built. Joining me this week to discuss some of the things that will be happening both on and off the course are golf blogger and author extraordinaire Jeff Shackleton from LA. But Shaq, I'm assuming that you're getting ready to head to Georgia. You're going to the Masters this week? I didn't I, even ask you. I am. I'm uh, leaving on Sunday. I, I will be there first thing Monday morning. I can't wait. Fantastic. And uh, best luck to you. Welcome to you and uh, looking forward to getting your thoughts on what might unfold while you're there next week and from the other side of the planet, but watching no less intently as the week unfolds, player, commentator, course architect, Mike Clayton. Clay, it's always good to have you aboard. Not there this year, unfortunately, although you did have the pleasure last year, if I recall, of being at Augusta. Thank you, Rod. Yeah, we were there last year, but not this year. No, that's... Uh, well, it was a nice little it was a nice little gathering last year, wasn't it? You were one of those everybody who's anybody in the game. But uh, <laughs> that's right. I'll sadly be missing it. Just on that point, let's start with that, uh, Shaq. You've been to a few Masters now. As I understand, I've not been there, but as I understand, there's a there's a gathering spot there. You've got the tree where people get together. Lots of stuff goes on behind the scenes at, at Augusta National. That's not really to do with the tournament itself. You've you've got all these people from around the world who are attending, and they're doing a lot of thing, a lot of talking about stuff, and not watching what's going on on the course. Yeah, they watch very little golf, which is often uh, a problem, I think, we're finding out. <laughs> um, they need to get out on the golf course more and watch golf instead of having meetings um, uh, about things, which they, there, there are a, a lot of meetings that take place and then a lot of social gatherings. I am uh, pleased to say that uh, I've been uh, invited to the USGA party this year, so I've really made it in life. And, of course, they may rescind the uh, – Invitation after I, I posted something today about uh, a, a giant inflatable rat outside the U.S. Open uh, uh, setup, but um, so it's that kind of week. There, there are social events and um, there are uh, big wigs getting together. the The big oak thing is sort of, I think, it's a little overrated. It's it's kind of pathetic. You stand out there and there are all these people standing around looking for somebody to talk to, and then they, you know, once they find somebody, then they're looking over their shoulder for the next. Uh, more important person that they want to uh, drop you for to go talk to. Uh, so it's it's a little strange. Are you trying to get uninvited, Shaq? <laughs> oh, no, no. It's a wonderful place. No, it's not a knock on Augusta. In fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if the people at Augusta walk up there and and, uh, and kind of snicker at, at some of the, at the uh, uh, certain people who just kind of stand there all day desperately looking for somebody to talk to. I'm, it's just, uh, it's more comedic than anything else. But uh, no, it's a wonderful gathering of... Uh, of uh, interesting people in the game, and um, uh, it's it's they do an unbelievable job running the uh, the whole operation. It's it's the best run event in sports, uh, I, I believe, at least in American sports. Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that. Others have said that too. Clay, of course, for us down here in this part of the world, this week starts to determine who we'll see later in the year in our tournaments, won't it? Because officials from the PGA Tour are here are over there talking to player managers and whatnot about who might be willing to come down to Australia and play later in the year. So the tournament is important in plenty of ways apart from just the green jacket, isn't it? Yeah, they go there and discuss, I guess, with the see who wants to come and see how much they can afford and how much they want. And 
Yeah. It's like a horse trading thing, isn't it? Who's <laughs> kind of really worth it, but who they need to – yeah, yeah, that, that's how it works. Yeah, it's kind of – unfortunately, that's the way it is, but that's the way it is. And Indeed. Now, of course, uh, just before we go, we must uh, we must express commiserations. Jeff Ogilvy, your business partner, Jeff, been desperately trying to make the field at the Masters this week. Played, played I think, 10 out of 11 weeks, Clates, uh, and didn't manage – to hold on to his spot in the top 50 in the world so he won't be there, which is a real shame because he was he was desperate to be at the at the Masters this year, wasn't he? Well, he is because it's a course that suits him and he, he plays well there. He was obviously fourth a couple of years ago and last year he was in the top 19th, I think. So he, what, he finished 51st at the end of last year, so he missed that by a spot. So one shot better at the PGA at Coolham mm. and he would have made it. Yeah. And then he just, he had that great week at the Honda about a month ago and got inside the top 50, then played relatively poorly since. I suspect uh, really a massive distraction and kind of hurt his play all year, really, just trying to focus on getting in there when, you know, it, it seems crazy that one event would weigh so heavily, but it does because everyone wants to be there. And I remember reading Doug Sanders said once, you, if you're not in Augusta, you feel like you're out of the world for a year. Mm. And, and for someone like Jeff who is a you know, Legitimate chance to win there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's especially going to be sitting home in Scottsdale. I suspect not even watching it on TV. <laughs> having a bit of a bit of a pout and a mope and a think about things. And fair enough too. You can't. Win. I think he's played seven straight, hasn't he? This would have been his, his eighth. And yeah. As you say, if you'd said to Jeff ten years ago, which of the four majors do you reckon your best chance? I reckon he would have nominated Augusta up there with the Open Championship long before the US Open, which he actually won. It's a bizarre game, this golf, isn't it? It is. Well, the, yeah, the way he, you know, he was, not, he's not the straightest driver, so the US Open was the least lucky. But he's got a great short game, so. I suspect he, you know, the US Open is an event he can play well in because he can, you know, he's great at getting the ball up and down from 80 yards. Yeah, and uh, yeah, well, and great. as he proved on the 18th at Wingfoot, that's not what we came together to talk about. Uh, let's talk about the Masters and some of the behind the scenes stuff. We'll start with you, Shaq, of course. Uh, it's generally, I think, on the Wednesday, we have the Chairman's Press Conference. And of course, we're expecting this year that Billy Payne will announce the club's support for the proposed anchoring ban. Are we likely to be surprised as we were with uh, Tim Fincham and the PGA Tour? Is there likely to be opposition from Augusta National to the anchoring ban, or do you think they've signed up with the ONA and the USGA? Uh, well, I, I penned a column for Golf World this week uh, where I lay out uh, my belief that um, that that he will support the ban, and, and in part because I, I talked to a few people and they said that he's uh, he's not as much of a USGA man as he is an RNA supporter, and uh, uh, this, this seems to be an RNA. Uh, led initiative to, uh, to to ban anchoring. So uh, the club has been asked if he would comment on this. They they were very kind in saying no, but that uh, we're more than welcome to ask the question on Wednesday of Masters Week. So he will be ready for it. Um, if it's not me, it'll be somebody in the room that will ask. And I'm sure he'll have a position. I'd be shocked if he had a position other than supporting it. He does have a real grow-the-game uh, uh, urgency about him, and I think that's why he was so flustered last year when the the, the question of of women in the membership came up. Because I think he was, at least I sense he was, he felt awful that this desire of of theirs to uh, to 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 help the game and grow the game was completely distracted by that. Um, because I think he knew it was a legitimate distraction, and so of course he's addressed that now. 
They have two uh, uh, women who are members. Uh, that should not be an issue. And they're going to make a Grow the Game announcement on Monday, which ought to be interesting. Um, and the question may even be asked then, although I'm guessing they'll tell us not to ask it at that Monday event, which is uh, being done with Ted Bishop of the PGA and uh, uh, who we had on the show here and uh, Glenn Nager of the USGA. Hmm. But not... Not, it should be noted, uh, anybody from the PGA Tour. <laughs> Interesting. Because just going back to that, that, it was such an awkward exchange last year, wasn't it, Jeff, with the, the, the women of Augusta? Because the questions were put so aggressively, weren't they? And you had the feeling that Billy Payne, you could almost tell he was squirming because, unfortunately, he agreed with the questioner, but his position publicly had to be the opposite. And you could tell he was just in a horrible jam. It was awful to watch, wasn't it? It was, and then and then he was not used to people uh, asking questions out of turn the way they did, and sort of a, a, a more uh, a press conference more resembling a politician's press mm-hmm. conference, and so that didn't go over real well. And and um, uh, yeah, I, I was sitting there, and I almost felt sorry for him. Uh, well, I really did because it was just clear he he had some things he was excited to be talking about, and those kind of got lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Clates, it really sp- speaks to the importance and the standing of Augusta National, the club. I mean, the Masters tournament is obviously the big showpiece, but the club itself, within the you know the top echelons of world golf, they they are more influential than perhaps some people realise. The the club itself, Billy Payne, is probably one of the handful of most influential people in world golf, isn't he? Probably, yeah. There's no other club that could make an announcement anchoring that people would listen to, but yeah, it's the Masters. It's you know, but, but by dint of its position in the game, the people who run that club are powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not to mention some of the membership who are outside of golf are fairly powerful. <laughs> yeah, as well as you know, what is it about the Masters, Clates? What's the mystique everybody talks about? Are you grabbed by the Masters mystique? I must say, I try not to be, but every year about this time, it reels me in. There's something about it, isn't it? The place and the tournament that's kind of special. I think it's partly to do with all this, what goes on behind the scenes, and the club is so powerful, and all this this other sort of mysterious stuff, do you fall victim to it or is it just a, a, a big tournament to you? Uh, no, it's, well, it's a massive tournament. It, it's, it's the history, really. It's Jones and McKenzie and it's, um, you know, it's the first major of the year. It's the same course every year. It's uh, all those things that, and as Jeff said, it's a, it's a brilliantly run event and they've created the mystique by, you know, it's difficult to get tickets and it's, you know, it's the one event that Australians all want to go to. So it's a huge Australian contingent every year. So, you know, people say it's hard to get tickets, but there are, there are seemingly hundreds of Australians go to the Masters now every year. It's sort of got like going to Wimbledon or the, or the Lord's Test match. It becomes a, you know, it's a thing that you have to do. So you know, for Australians, you know, in our small world, they've created this event that you just have to go and see it. So that they, they, they flock from here every year, really. Yeah, and uh, of course the shark did his bit to help that along with all of us getting up early in the morning for so many years to watch him come so close. Your boss and mine, Brendan James, editor of Golf Australia magazine, Clates, he's off to Augusta. Uh, oh, I'm not sure whether he's already left or he's going to be First time for him, bucket list stuff. Spoke to him last week. He sounded like a kid in a lolly shop. So you're absolutely right. He's a you know mid-40s man who's covered golf professionally for sort of 15, 20 years or so, and he is as excited as a child to get to Augusta National. Were you like that your first time you went? Uh, I guess I, I guess I was. I, I went in 93 when Langer won. And, yeah, well, for me, you just want to see the golf course. I was more excited about seeing the golf course than seeing the golf, really. I, you know, golf is golf and the tournament is the tournament, but... Uh, I was more excited about seeing the golf course, which was fantastic to see. Mm. 
Shaq, do you still get the, the buzz of the Masters? Does it still do it for you? I know you say it's a fantastic or the best run event, probably the best run sports event, as you say, uh, in America, possibly the world. But is there still the buzz for you? Do you still get the excitement, the sort of the childlike bit of butterflies when you're just walking through that, that first day of covering the week? How could you not? Uh, I mean, the way they treat the, the media is ridiculously good. Um, and I guess for me, I get more excited about the Masters than any tournament because I get to experience the West Coast swing and kind of see the players and see who's playing well going in and just get excited about this sort of buildup that we have. Um, and, and it changes a little bit when tournaments get moved around. But in, in essence, we have this this uh, pretty traditional buildup that I find uh, to be uh, just the best time of the year in golf. Uh, I love I love the Open Championship and the U.S. Open uh, but but this is to me not just the, about the Masters week, but it's all of these weeks coming up. People like Jeff trying to play seven weeks in a row to get in, and somebody winning early in the year that gets in the Masters, and so the whole thing to me is just uh, in sync and flows beautifully up to the uh, the tournament. And then once you get there, of course, it's it's uh, it's it's just the springtime and. People are happy to experience some warm weather, smell the pines, and then go out and see the golf course. It doesn't really have the shock anymore uh, compared to, say, 10, 15 years ago when we'd, we'd, uh, players would show up on Monday and that would be the first time they saw the golf course. Now we get these little reports and drips and, and bits and pieces uh, in advance. So there's a little less of that anticipation, but uh, I, I can hardly wait. Mm, indeed. Clay, you mentioned there the first time you went 93. Of course, you were there last year. The course has changed an awful lot in between. I haven't heard anything about the course or course changes this year that I can recall. But tell me about your take on the course in 93 to 2012 when you were there. I mean, you know, we had that period late 90s, early 2000s where it really changed an awful lot. What do you think of Augusta National now it's still probably the pick of golf courses. But is it what it was meant to be? Well, it kind of looks the same, except that you know, it's much, much longer. That's the staggering thing is how much longer it is. And what a great job they do of moving the tees back, but recreating the exact same look of the shot. They don't just move the tee back and change. You know, the shot looks exactly the same. They move the tee back 60 yards, but change the ground in front, so it looks exactly the same. Uh they obviously tried the experiment with the rough, and they've smothered it with trees on a few holes. It doesn't help it, but you know, and, and the seventh's a crazy narrow long hole now, where it was you know designed as a short hole and a great short hole green. Now it's just another kind of medium long par four down an incredibly narrow fairway. But you know, it is what it is. Augusta has got an incredible set of greens. You've got to be incredibly precise when you play. You've got literally yards to land the ball, or you. You, know, you, you can birdie every hole or bogey every hole, really, depending on how precise you are with your shot. If you're just a little bit out, you you, you know you obviously get killed. Mm. But it's you know the biggest change has been that has mirrored the biggest change in the game, which is how far the ball goes. Yeah. So the, the golf course has changed in response to the golf ball, which is sad, really. It's crazy, isn't it? We've had to change the golf course to keep it the same. It's, an, it's a bizarre argument. <laughs> the more you think about it, the more silly it seems. Shaq, have you heard anything about course changes this year? Usually Mickelson's one who picks up. When he, last year he was talking about one of the greens had been raised by seven inches somewhere and all this sort of crazy oh, yeah. stuff. You, have you heard anything this year from somebody perhaps a bit more creditable, credible than Phil? Has there been any changes? I've not heard of anything, and that's unusual. Normally things dribble out. 
He he mentioned some massaging uh, behind the 14th green that might uh, allow players to kind of throw a ball in, and and we might see some hole outs there. And that's really been the extent of it. Uh, he might have mentioned one other green complex where something was tweaked, but uh, no, they they've uh, done very little. It is interesting though. The players will all say uh, after playing the tournament. Uh, that they every year the last few years they've noticed just some some gentle uh, widening here and there a little little one one or two pines gone here and the ones they've recently planted um, and, and some 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 added width in another spot so they are kind of quietly trying to widen it without uh, upsetting or uh, embarrassing the previous regime. You talked about this. I listened to a podcast with Mike Flynn and Mike Uran, a delightfully named podcast, the FU podcast, and they did a yes. fantastic job. I was incredibly impressed with their golf knowledge, given that it's a general sports show generally. But you talked about this, didn't you? The the regime of Hootie Johnson and Billy Payne being the man who is trying to take Augusta National back a bit and undo some of those things that were done. But it's politically sensitive within the club, isn't it? You, you can't embarrass a former chairman of Augusta National. He needs to be careful, doesn't he? So these things are always going to be very subtle, the changes to the course. Well, there's some sort of political thing there going on we don't understand. You know, Billy Payne was Hootie's guy, but then there's another... It's just sort of almost comical when you think about it. There's another faction in the club that that's uh, probably in the Fred Ridley, uh, Walter Driver camp. I mean, who who knows? Real first world problems here. But, <laughs> Very but it so. is, for us, those of us who just care about the tournament, seeing the tournament be as great as it can be, seeing the golf course play the way we'd hope it can play, uh, the, the main thing is how does this affect that? And so I think, uh, while it's not what I would like to see or some of us would like to see who love the old design, love Alistair McKenzie, or even just love the golf course the way it was up until, uh, say, I don't know, the, the mid-90s before Tiger uh, uh, did his thing in 1997 and Hootie went uh, nuts. Uh, those of us who like that golf course have to be encouraged at least that they are trying to get some of that back within the uh, the parameters of the this political uh, squabble or whatever the, the the just the general politics of doing this and not upsetting or uh, embarrassing hootie but at the same time it's it's kind of silly because we all have seen now his uh, his years were not were not great uh, he made a lot of uh, awful decisions related to the golf course treating past champions um, uh, sending them letters about age limits and uh, taking away the winner's exemption of tour events, which you know certainly could be debated, but it was also one of those great little traditions uh, uh, leading up to the tournament, and always the first thing somebody would say when they won a tournament. Which I mean, uh, you just can't get any better publicity and and uh, cachet building than that. So, in hindsight, he was he was not a good chairman, and uh, so my view, of course, is well, let's just undo the things that that he didn't do well and. <laughs> Yeah, the length was needed, and and they were probably visionaries in that sense. Uh, but for all that great vision in that, uh, he, he displayed just dreadful vision when it came to uh, narrowing holes and and some of this other stuff they did. Yeah, speaking about lengthening the golf course, Clyde. So I can 
distinctly recall several conversations around the turn of the century and since as well, that Augusta National might be the only place in the world with enough influence and they could do it for the Masters to implement a tournament ball. What do you think about that idea? Could they have saved themselves the trouble of a longer course uh, and could they, in fact, have got away? We like to think they're all-powerful, but could they have got away with at Augusta National implementing a tournament ball? Would the players still have turned up? Yeah, of course they would have turned up. Not one of them would have missed it. And it would have been a great thing for golf if they'd done that. But you can see what a tricky thing, you know, what a tricky thing that would be to implement. All the criticism they would get from the manufacturers and the, the comment and it, yeah, it would certainly distract from the golf tournament. But yeah, you know, that's the one place that could do it. And that's the you know, I mean we keep going back to the ball thing, but we actually did a whole in Perth yesterday. I had Brady Watt come out, who's the second ranked amateur in the world. It's a short par four, a little like the tenth at Royal Melbourne uphill and a Bit dog leg right, going the other way, but I got to get some balls off the tee. And these bunkers look to me like a decent off the tee. He did 10 balls, just didn't even look at them. Wow. Yeah, you know, so like, what do we need to put another tee in back behind the road here? You know, so that's the, you know, we, we, we don't want to talk about the ball, but, you know, that's the thing that astounds me is how far these, this kid's a little runty kid, you know, thin, sort of 10 stone, and he's flying at 290 or 300 yards in the air. So Nearly won the WA Open, did he not, last year, if I recall? He lost the plot. He's, he's won everything in amateur golf down here yeah. in the last eight months, a tremendous player. Yeah, indeed. I know we don't want to talk about the ball place, but it does change, does it not, the nature of the tournament. We see the golf course at Augusta doesn't play the way it used to because the ball doesn't get shaped the way it used to. When Norman was contending in the 80s and 90s, Part of that was because he was such a great driver of the ball and he could turn it either way to get at those difficult pins. The game is completely different with the modern, not just distance-wise, but the way the ball flies and the way it stops. It, it's changed the game in more ways than just distance, hasn't it, Clates? Uh, yeah, it has. Yeah, it has. You don't see those. I, mean, I think we've spoken about it before. One of the most staggering shots I ever saw was Seve slicing a ball around the pine trees at the 10th hole at Wentworth. It was a shot that no one would would, would, would hit. It, it, even then, no one really hit it. He was the only guy who could think of it and pull it off. But it's almost a shot that's impossible to hit now with the modern balls. So you do lose that, mm. you, know, you know, the imagination because the kids just grow up seeing the ball go high and long and straight. So they hit the ball high and long and straight. Well, why would you do anything different? I've heard Jeff Ogilvy talk about it before that even he sort of succumbs to it that the ball does can go so high and straight that that's the golf you tend to play even if you know he grew up playing fades and draws and trying to get it at tough pins he grew up with a totally different game and he said you know you get lazy because you can you can just hit it high and straight if you've got a good swing it'll just go straight it won't move off the line so you're kind of forced to play that golf shack onto the tournament itself let's not let's not bring it down with discussion right, you know what. Now, one thought on the ball, just um, one other thing to mention. You know, I, I wrote a story for Golf World last year because it became such a part of the tournament. And it'll be fun to see if they've done anything about it this year. But, you know, one of the things that, that shocked me, you know, it was my first time back at the Masters in, in 10 years last year or nine years, uh, was what they do with the fairway cut to slow down the ball. And And I remember the first time I went there being so stunned at the fairways because they were like greens they were they were cut so tight and they look like the the greens of any golf course you you could imagine only obviously more green more lush and so now they let the grass actually grow longer and they mow it in the direction of the tee and when they have any rain at all the balls are, collect mud and so i wrote an entire story for golf world about this and how it was affecting the, the tournament 
and that it was just kind of one of those sad things that they've had to do to try to keep the course relevant. So it became a huge problem last year and even in the years before, but especially last year with the mud on the balls. And so I don't know what they could do, but if you ask people like Jeff Ogilvie, if they'd actually mowed those fairways the way they used to, uh, you'd have guys hitting a flip wedge into the 15th hole again, a little, you know, just a little sandwich because they'd get it down the hill off the tee. And so I'll be curious to see if they've done anything to uh, try and address this, but I'm guessing they haven't. It's another reason uh, that they do need something to, to be done about distance at Augusta. Put it on the list of topics that can be discussed yeah. every time the ball comes up on this show, which seems yeah. to be every single episode. Back to the tournament itself, Shaq, and leaving yeah, that sorry. all aside. Uh, interesting build-up this year. It's always an interesting build-up to the Masters. All the talk, of course, about Tiger Woods, the former world number one, now back to world number one. Three wins already this year. He's won three of his... His regular tournaments this is the way what we used to see from Tiger years ago. We go out and win the the same tournaments each and every year. Um, are we overreacting? Is Tiger as much of a lock as people seem to think? The bookies have got him at some ridiculously short odds, two or three to one, I think, which in a golf tournament is just insane. But uh, is he a lock to win it, Shaq? I why well, nobody's a lock. He could he could sleep on his neck incorrectly, or he could uh, <laughs> get a, a lousy tea time draw. And yeah, uh, right. But I I, <laughs> I I do. I mean, I felt like since really last summer at the Open Championship that um, he was on course to to find his game and get it back. And I think he's there. I I don't even have concerns about his driving. I know a lot of people have uh, picked on that and the way he finished at Torrey Pines and, and a few other tournaments. Um, but I, I just um, I think uh, all signs point to uh, to him winning, and it and it really uh, it helps that Rory's kind of uh, gone off on his little thing. That's one less competitor. But there are some there are some intriguing names playing well who will be there if he falters or if he has a bad week or or a bad draw. Uh, but gosh, I, I really have a hard time seeing him uh, not winning. I heard uh, this morning, Clates, I listened to a podcast that comes out of Augusta, the Augusta Golf Show, and they have some very good stuff on there week to week. John, uh, the host's name now escapes me, his surname. He had Christine Brennan on from USA Today, who covers golf, and her contention was that Tiger must win this Masters because if he doesn't, it'll be devastating. Everything is pointing to a victory. And that whole winning is everything ad from Nike and all the controversy that went with that actually stacks up. If he doesn't win this Masters, it'll be devastating. What's your take on sort of Woods and the Masters? Then we'll talk about some of the other players because there are a few others actually playing, which is interesting. Yeah, well, he's always the most interesting story. Yeah, he's been the most interesting story since 1997, and he still is about. This is really the judge of the state of his game. He's always played well there. But he hasn't won there for a while because he hasn't seemingly putted as well as he normally does. Those greens are incredibly difficult and he hasn't made enough putts to win there. Mm. So that, that'll be the one question in his mind is, can I putt well enough to win here? Because obviously he's won the last, despite playing well, the, the, the last two tournaments he's been dominating on the putting ground. He's made everything. So the question is, can he make putts at Augusta like he, like he made him at Doral and Bay Hill. Best putting of his career, I think, yeah. uh, at Bay Hill, the, the, the stats seem yeah. to suggest. It's such a confidence game, Clates. You've played it at the top level. He must go in with confidence. Is that the most important ingredient? You would think that by the time you get to Tiger Woods's uh, sort of level, the game itself, the physical aspects of it are predominantly all just there. It comes down to the mental and the confidence, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it comes down to how you play, not necessarily how you hit the ball, but how you play and 
you can hit the ball well and not play well, and so so it's how it just you know it's how the week unfolds. He's clear that you know he's playing the best of anyone in the game, and the course suits him, and he's won there lots of times. He knows that to win there, and but he hasn't won for, in a major for a long time, and it, you know that that's still got to be the one doubt in his mind is can, can I still win these things and can I still make the putts and. Hard to believe hasn't won there since two thousand and five, Clates, which is uh, <laughs> which you, you don't sort of think about it, Tom. But yeah, that's that's uh, sort of in eight years. Shaq, what about your what, what's your take on that point, Christine Brennan? She says that the way everything's built up, that you know, Woods must win this, and if he doesn't, then it'll be devastating for him. Is she being overly oh, dramatic? Devastating yeah, to to go back to his mansion and his yacht and um, his two little you know, uh, you adorable know, kids. You know what she means, Clint. and his hot girlfriend. Yeah. And yeah, it's just going to be rough. No, that's ridiculous because yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that that you know maybe in tennis I can understand that when you when you are somebody who's an elite player and you reach a certain point and there really only are two or three other people who can beat you. But in golf. So many things can go wrong. Uh, there's so many variables at play. And and so some people just seem to ignore that with our game. It's just a different sport. And, and there's there are so many talented players. We start, I did a little draft for GolfDigest.com. We had a, a fun little fantasy draft for the Masters. And you start going through the people who are playing well right now, who have won the Masters or contended at the Masters. And you just never know. Somebody may have a great week have the perfect tee time draw um, and not face any wind and, and whatever goes on. And, and uh, it won't matter what he does. But uh, so to, to, to suggest that uh, this is the case, I think, uh, with this being an essential week is, um, uh, is, is kind of silly. I do think it's his best chance to win a major this year other than probably Muirfield. I don't like his chances at, at Marion from the photos that I've seen that uh, Clay shared with us. I don't. I don't like anybody's chances at Marion who uh, <laughs> who, who plays the game a certain way, uh, like Tiger does. It just has got uh, a freak show kind of written all over it. But I, mean, I hope not. I really hope that's not the case. But uh, uh, but but to to uh, this to make this out to be a make or break week for him, I think is uh, is wrong. Even in light, Shaq, does she not have a point in some ways in light of the discussions that have been going on for the last two years? He won three times last year, already three times this year, and there is still this large core of people who say, oh, he's not back till he wins a major. Does he not take motivation from that, or do you think he doesn't uh, doesn't put any stock in what other people say? I'm not sure. I, I can't figure Woods out in this regard. Sometimes no, what people I say think seems he, to upset him, and sometimes it doesn't. I think I think the first part you mentioned is absolutely right. I think he does take motivation from it. I think he loves uh, having refrigerator uh, or bulletin board material to uh, to kind of feed off of. In fact, I think he creates a lot of of, of things in his head that really aren't even true about mm-hmm. the media and, and critics and uh, people who are on him. And, and uh, I mean, there are you go to my website and read the comments. Uh, he brings out all sorts of of, uh, of different views and, and uh, passions that you can't believe are out there. But I also think he, he, uh, he creates his own little um, uh, uh, issues in his mind to, to motivate him because uh, I think you have to. I, you know, every once in a while, I'll just kind of uh, look at him and, and, or look at somebody like Kobe Bryant here in basketball and you think, my God, these guys have been doing this now at a certain level for a very long time. 
and they have all the money they need. Uh, they have they've they've got fantastic careers. They're legends, and yet they keep bringing it. They mm. keep bringing this energy and this devotion to their craft that is is incredible. And how do they do it? And I think it's these kinds of little things that that motivate them to piss them off and make them want to go and and uh, prove people wrong and i i mean i, I think that's fantastic that uh, that they do that because we're lucky to get to watch them perform well exactly there's nothing like a perceived or actual slight is there to fire woods up we can all remember Stephen ames and michael camp various <laughs> world match plays there having it's it a handed long to them. list yeah that's exactly right exactly right on to he's of course not the only player in the field on to some others in the field who might have a chance clay to you one that plays the game in the lead up watching who's playing well and who you think might do well at augusta mcelroy is the other one who obviously comes into the the conversation he's been sort of a leading light in the game for the last 12 months or so. The next Tiger he's been anointed and all that sort of stuff hasn't really lived up to it this year, has had his issues with it. Who else, who aren't we looking at at Augusta who perhaps we should be? Oh, maybe Brad Schnedeker. He's obviously played well this year. He's, a, he's played well there before. Great putter. Mm-hmm. Good player. I mean, there are lots of guys who, you know, play well. I mean, Nick Watney plays beautiful golf. I mean, you know, there's nothing to say he can't open up with a 68 in the first round and hang there all week like Peter Hansen did last year and, you know, there are always guys you don't really think about who go out there and play well. I mean, you stand on the first tee of Augusta and you, you can watch for a couple of hours and you watch fantastic player after fantastic player smash the ball to the top of the hill. I mean, Dustin Johnson and Bubba Watson and, you know, these guys just need to play well for the week. They all hit the ball well, but they, you know, they need to play well, roll the, you know, make some putts, get up and down from the bunker if they have to, make a great up and down, hit in the creek at 12 and drop it out and make a four and keep the round going and, all those things that need to happen if you're going to win the golf tournament. So there are a lot of guys who are clearly capable of doing that. And, you know, and people don't, you know, I mean, Dustin Johnson's due to win a major fan, long hitter, you know, really good player, kind of oblivious to the tradition of the game sometimes. <laughs> like Bubba, you know, you know, it's just to them, it's, you know, they probably don't know who Alistair McKenzie is, which is probably a helpful thing. But, uh, you know, there are, there are lots of guys who can win. Mm. Mickelson can still win. Ernie's can still win. I mean, I was talking about Adam Scott, who I watched win the Australian Masters at Kingston Heath last year, just playing beautiful golf. And he hasn't played that much since then. But if he, you know, if he can play like that, he, he's clearly capable of winning. He Schwartzel's four birdies a couple of years ago really, you know, that, that put a stopper on him winning that one. But so there are a lot of guys. You know, Jason Day. I mean, no one was talking about Jason Day two years ago. He was second with Adam, so there are lots of guys who can win. Indeed. You mentioned Peter Hansen there, and he was really interesting last year, wasn't he? Because he was. He was right there really until about the 12th hole Sunday when he hit a shank clates. What's that about? Is that just the mental pressure? At at the very top level, what is it that happens on the 12th tee at Augusta that doesn't happen on the 12th tee of other tournaments, or majors, I suppose? Uh, what happens on the 12th tee of majors that doesn't happen at other tournaments? What leads to that? A player of Hansen's ability hitting a shank? Well, Shank's not the worst shot that's gone in there, really. But I mean, it's, <laughs> having said that, per, per, it's, a, it's in the top couple, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, there are lots of guys who've leaked it right into the water the last day, and you know, Shank is kind of a. I actually watched the tape of the '93 Masters the other day when uh, Dan Forsman lobbed a cup in the lake and made seven there. Yeah, it's the whole. It's a mistake created around that hole. You know, the past champions are all talking about the wind blowing one way from the at the eleventh and a different way at the twelfth, even though the holes going the same direction. And this, you know, the, the, the all the disasters that have happened there, and 
you know, I think the, the, as a kid, you read it all, and finally you get there leading the masses on Sunday. And it's like, oh my God, I'm here. And, you know, it creates its own devil, really, there. But, but how do you shank it? Well, you, you would have to ask him what happened. You know, he might have made a. He's really the only one who knows what happened on the. I actually saw that shot. It was bizarre. And, and and not the most disastrous shot. The most disastrous shot is the one that goes in the water. That's right. He goes in the water. So, so he still had a chance to make a par. Mm. Um, and four is not a dreadful score there. But, I mean, you know, it doesn't do a lot for your confidence coming in, I, I was, guess. I was going to say that the, the shank, it really affects the next shot more, doesn't it, which is the, oh, dear, where did that come from? Is it yeah. going to happen again? Shaq, and Clayton's touched on something there which I think is really interesting, and it's the thing the Masters has over the other majors is that, of course, by the time you get there as a player – you are so familiar with the 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 history of the place and all of that stuff that Clates is talking about. It, it it by far of any tournament has the ability to psych you out before you even arrive, doesn't it, Augusta National? Well, you can overthink everything and and uh, overanalyze and and uh, I thankfully most of these players I don't think I don't believe they do that because a lot of them don't really uh, <laughs> uh, read a whole lot. No. Um, but it is an issue, certainly for the more thoughtful people. And uh, but at the same time, then you could also argue that, in a way, it's uh, it's it's easier because they are so comfortable there. They have people who are longtime players have a ritual and where they stay, where they eat, what they do Tuesday night, Wednesday night, that they're able to maybe relax a little bit more than they would. Um, when they're at a venue they haven't been at, say, in Marion or Muirfield, where, where we haven't been in a while. So um, I, I think it could go both ways. Um, and, and I think that, uh, um, but generally that the more, uh, the, the veterans, the grizzled veterans are able to uh, re- relax because they have a, a very uh, uh, solid routine there. Yeah, if you go through the historical results on the master side, it's very much a horses for courses event, isn't it? You see the same names in the top ten year after year after year after year, and not necessarily names that you'd you'd always expect. Clates, it technically should be the easiest major of the year to win, shouldn't it? Because it's got the smallest field. There's not even a hundred this year. I think we've topped out at ninety two, and it rarely goes over a hundred, being an invitational. That should make it in some ways the easiest major to win, shouldn't it? Well, except the top 50 players in the world are there. So, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. makes it like the others, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're all hard to win, but if you wanted to pick an easiest one, you would look at the uh, the, the one that's had the greatest diversity of winners, and that, that would be the PGA Championship first and the US Open second. I mean, the Masters and the British Open have consistently identified the best players in the game, whereas the other two have had a, rush, a much more random list of winners. So... I would have thought the easiest ones to win were the, the PGA and the, uh, the Open. How much of that is down to the style of courses that you're playing at those two events, Clates? Because the Open and the PGA generally tend to be kind of a PGA Tour venue on steroids, don't they? Or am I oversimplifying that? Well, I think it goes back to our bashing point about rough. It seems to me that the lesson of the Open and the Masters and, and the consistent ability to, to, to produce or identify the best players in the game is a lack of rough. And that's not always true at the Open because obviously Nicholas at Muirfield in 66 and Norman's Open at Turnby where Muirfield and Turnby were both smothered in rough those years. But there's clearly no rough at St Andrews and that does a great job of finding the best player. And Well, there's not no rough, but there's much less rough than anywhere else. So, so it's, you know, to me there's a clear and obvious correlation and Mackenzie wrote about it. 
was was that Ruff doesn't identify the best players and the, the tournaments that don't re- revolve themselves around growing long grass around the fairways and the greens uh, are the ones that consistently produce the best players. Of course, the, the so, growing of the rough is the is the instant and understandable temptation, isn't it, Clates, when you're watching your golf course get torn apart by blokes who play the way the, the guys at the top of world golf do. It just seems such an easy fix, doesn't it? Make it narrow, uh, grow the rough so that there is no chance to show ability that only all you can do is hack out. You can understand how the mentality has developed, can't you, with the, the, the talent of the players at the top of the game? Well, it has, uh, and it's worse now because... You know, it's the simple one-dimensional answer to the golf ball. What do we do with the ball? We'll, we'll make the fairways narrower and grow more rough. So, so it gets narrower and the rough gets thicker. And mm. but it's always been the way of the open. You know, you read about Hogan at Merion in 1950. I mean, seven over par on the narrow fairways and high rough. And so it's not like the US Open has just no. recently adopted that that, that, that fashion. So, so it's always been the way in that tournament. And the PGA has just you know essentially been the same. If anything, of course, but, the US Open's probably going the other way, isn't it? Um, under Mike Davis, we've had more thoughtful course setups and less of that really restricted, narrow fairways, high rough. Well, um, sort of stuff. well, well this year, me, <laughs> you know, I think Pine, Pinehurst is going to be the saviour of the US Open because it, you know it's, it's going to be wide fairways, no rough, hopefully. And that, ha- having said that, it's the most difficult course I've ever seen. I mean, it's incredibly difficult, but but that's that doesn't have to rely on rough at all. To, Keep the scores up. Yeah, it might might need to be after what we're going to see at Marion. Shaq, you had something to say. <laughs> no, I was just when you were lauding uh, the USGA and US Open, I was reminding it that this year will will, will definitely be an exception on the narrowness uh, front, based on the photos that Clates uh, shared with us. But we've spoken about this, Shaq, and I think we've all agreed that this is uh, the genius of Mike Davis. He's showing us the absolute worst of all the US Opens past to show us that next year is how the tournament should be going. Didn't we agree on that? I thought we agreed that Davis was a genius and this was all part of an evil plan to prove that. It, it, it would be quite the, the plan since he wasn't really in a position of power at the time <laughs> they selected Marion, but um, um, but it certainly could play out that way. Yeah. Uh, Shaq, I asked Clates earlier. I didn't get around to asking you. Uh, we'll finish up with this. Who, who are we going to be looking at come come the end of the week? You, you probably don't care as long as there's somebody there playing well and it's an interesting finish, but who do you like the look of heading into Augusta National, leaving Tiger out of it? Well, I like I said, I have my bias about the whole West Coast swing, and I, I like to watch to see who has just kind of quietly gone along and played some nice steady golf and um, – I, I don't know why, because his short game can be so awful. But I just, I and maybe it's sentimental uh, uh, reasoning. But I, I, I have a good feeling about Lee Westwood. I like that he moved to Florida. I like that he just keeps playing very nice, steady golf, and and that he says he's his short game is brilliant right now. Uh, I feel like he's just somebody who is who's kind of due. Obviously, Justin Rose is is uh, is is playing very steady golf, and is somebody who's played decently at Augusta. Uh, Schwartzel, I, I I feel somewhat good about. I wasn't wild about him and, and Luke Donald going off to uh, Malaysia here in the build-up. Again, I'm very big on the build-up to the tournament. So Mickelson, who knows? Yeah, I think he'll flip a switch and be fine and probably contend. Uh, I'd be shocked, frankly, if he doesn't, although he has. this is kind of weird lately how he's been playing. Um, so there are, there are quite a few of those kind of horses for courses that are, that are playing well going in and um, but I, 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 there's always a couple that surprise us too. So I, I, uh, I like uh, a lot of those guys, but I just would be shocked if, uh, 
if Tiger doesn't win this one. Mm, I think I tend to agree. Does Lee Westwood still get you cheering from even though he's using the long putter? I know he's not anchoring it. Is that okay? No, 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 no. He's he's putting conventionally. I, I think that was just a very brief spell. At the weekend, I'm sure he used it last week at uh, Houston. He had the he had the long putter. He's Lee Westwood? It. Yeah, he's not anchoring it, but it's definitely a oh. belly length putter. No, uh, I don't think he's anchoring for sure. No, he's I'm, definitely I'm, not anchoring. I'm, I know that. Um, okay, but uh, yeah, he's using that would that would be that would I would be less sentimental if that were the case. <laughs> he has, of course, <laughs> been close before, so it's not like he doesn't have uh, the game. Yeah, for it. he finished second to Mickelson just uh, just a few years ago, as, as he has done right. in a, a couple of majors. Just to wrap it up, Clates, only four Australians in the field this year hasn't changed. We didn't manage to get any other extras in. I mean, you mentioned Adam Scott and Jason Day, John Sendon, great ball striker. Can't see Augusta suiting him myself and Mark Leishman, of course, who may just surprise. There are guys who go to Augusta for the first time, Clates, and just it just suits them, doesn't it? I mean, he may be one of those, but just your take quickly on the Australians before we wrap it up. Yeah, Adam's got the obvious one. Uh, Leishman's a long, like they all ate the ball high and long. And he grew up in a golf course southwest of Melbourne where it blows a hurricane every single day, so he's great in the wind. Uh, Sendon, yeah, good player, can't win. Yeah, just it's a shame, isn't it? He's, he is so good, but just his short game just isn't quite up to that top. He, like, he would make me look foolish, obviously, on and around the greens, but at the very top level, a bit like Lee Westwood, it just isn't quite up to scratch uh, to contend at, at, at the very highest levels. Gents, it's been absolutely fantastic. I'm sure we'll be glued to the TV down here in Australia uh, as of next Friday morning. Clates watching the whole thing unfold. Shackleford will be very jealous of you. He'll be over there watching it all live, but it's been great to have you both on. Shaq, thanks for taking some time. Absolutely, thank you, and uh, uh, happy viewing down under. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for rubbing it in. Enjoy that, and Clates, sure. uh, always fabulous to catch up with you, Clates, uh, and uh, interesting to follow your pictures on Twitter that you've been sending from Sun City. There, you must have felt great about taking out those trees on the corner yesterday. I saw the, the before and after uh, shots. I mean, you can't believe how people can put up with playing a hole forever with these ridiculous trees on the corner and you pull them down and go, how much better is this hole? I mean, it's, 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 it just staggers me that people get all over me for chopping trees down and you cut them down and it's unarguable. The thing is so much better. And it's like, wow, look at this thing. It just, you know, it just you're the, drives you mad. You're the Jenny Craig of course design, Clates. You're, you're going the before and after pictures to prove – <laughs> yeah, to, to no, it's and it's fantastic yeah. but uh, yeah it's been great to follow you on Twitter and thanks for taking some time today mate always great to catch up with you pleasure Rod and that wraps it up for this episode of State of the Game thanks for tuning in do hope you've enjoyed it we'll be back no doubt in the not too distant future to do it all again looking forward to your company then on State of the Game State of the Game is a talk and golf production theme music writer's retreat provided by lloyd cole visit www.lloydcole.com for more information for more golf podcasts log on to www.talkandgolf.com